Good morning and welcome to all of you gathered here this morning in the sanctuary and also to those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. Also, the rose on the altar today is in honor of Robert and Sandy Durick, who will be celebrating 62 years of marriage today. So I see Robert back there. Congratulations, Robert. Congratulations are also in order for Meg and Ryan Lagerman on the birth of their daughter, Brady Jane, who arrived on Wednesday, August 25th. Grandparents are Stan and Susie Reinecke and Mark and Sarah Lagerman. Great-grandparents are Jim and Bev Reinecke and Jane Novine. The confirmation meeting that had been rescheduled is for today, immediately following our church service over in the ministry center. Also this morning, Aaron Roball has a couple things he'd like to share with you about his Bible study. He'll be here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put the guitar on. Sorry about that. Yeah, good morning. I uh, just wanted to extend an invitation. We're offering the adult Bible Sunday school class beginning September the 19th. We're going to be doing a study of Exodus. And a neat way to study that, we're going to be partnering that with the 1956 movie, um, The Ten Commandments. Uh, I think that would be an interesting way to watch the movie. We're going to read and study Exodus and then watch the movie, compare how the movie follows the Bible, and then some things that are probably in the movie that are not in Scripture. So it'll be an exciting way. We typically have refreshments. That will meet at 10:15, following the uh, main service on Sunday mornings. And again, that will begin on Sunday, September the 19th. So I extend that invitation to any high school uh, age adults and, and above. Hopefully we'll have you all there in attendance and study the Word of the Lord together. Thank you. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now, those who are able, would you join me for our call to worship this morning? Stand and rise, I'm sorry. This morning is taken from Psalm 91. Follow along with me. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he can save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And they will lift, up your, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Please remain standing for our opening praise song, Lord, I Need You. Thank you. 
You may be seated. Now will the children come forward for the children chat with Sharon Colson? Good morning. While the children come forward, I have a couple questions for all you big kids. Okay, you guys can sit right down here, you little kids. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the 1964-1965 New York World's Fair. One. We do have one. Fantastic. Okay. Now, raise your hand if you've ever been to a Disney theme park. And keep your hands raised if you ever went to the It's a Small World attraction there. Okay, then you'll know what I'm talking about. The rest of you will have to Google YouTube, all right? Because we're going to talk about It's a Small World. When I was a little girl, you can put your hand down. When I was a little girl, my parents took the five of us kids to Disney. And the most memorable ride there for me was that one. I Googled to see if the Small World attraction was still there. And I found this. Originally created for the 1964-1965 New York World's Fair, it was built in support of UNICEF and then shipped to Disneyland when it opened on May 28, 1966, and has been replicated at every other Disney park. A delightful musical boat tour passes through vivid, fantastical scenes representing the iconic sights and sounds of dozens of nations passing through all seven continents, while the audio-animatronic figures achieve universal harmony as they sing, It's a Small World, in many languages. Can you imagine where I'm going with this? Just happens to relate to Operation Christmas Child, I think. So I have this special music box here. I want you to look at it. It plays It's a Small World. And I want you to look at some of the things that are in the music box. What do you see inside of here? that are things that could be packed in a shoebox. What do you see? Toys. What kind of toys? Balls. Cars. Bunnies. Can you see what's all in here? Trains. Books. All things that can be packed into an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. In a few minutes, I'm going to be sharing about Operation Christmas Child. I think the words to It's a Small World are just a great way to think about the children that receive an OCC shoebox. Pretty cool, isn't it? These are the words. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hope and a world of fears. There's so much that we share that it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. There is just one moon 
and one golden sun, and a smile brings friendship to everyone. Though the mountains divide and the oceans are wide, it's a small world after it's a small world after all. 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 Let's say a prayer. Lord, I thank you for Samaritan's Purse and the International Disaster Relief Team that it offers. This world to a child can be a big, scary place. There may be no laughter, only tears. There, be, there may be no hope. Children may be full of fear. So today, I thank you for OCC, which crosses the mountains and crosses the oceans to bring hope, your hope and laughter to children throughout the world. All right, you can go back to your seats. Today is kickoff Sunday for Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Program here at First Church. The Reverend Billy Graham, son Franklin Graham, is the CEO of Samaritan's Purse International Relief, and Operation Christmas Child is a branch of Samaritan's Purse. You know me as the OCC project leader for First Church. This is my third year, so since 1993, Samaritan's Purse has distributed over 188 million shoebox gifts to children throughout the world, in Jesus' name. OCC for us has become a family affair. I'd like to introduce my little brother, Larry. It's kind of funny to hear that, my little brother, when I'm taller than she is. But um, she and Sharon asked me just to share just a couple minutes as far as how I originally got started into Operation Christmas Child, which in turn had an impact, just like a shoebox has an impact on every child that receives one. Um, back in 93, the first year that it started, I went to a Promise Keepers conference and I picked up a videotape that was a promotional videotape for Operation Christmas Child brought it home my wife and I we watched it and right away it's like this is something we've got to do so in turn over the years we've done we've packed shoe boxes ever since 93 as a family I have five children and over the years at first the first couple of years we just packed shoe boxes about Then we, uh, I had the opportunity to start going down to Charlotte to actually start processing these shoe boxes. And at that time, my oldest son was just, just turned 13, so it's like, okay, we can do this. So, long story short, out of the five children that I have, all five of the children have gone to Charlotte at least twice. Um, some of them have gone four or five times uh, over the years. Myself, this would be my 18th, this coming year is my 18th year of going down. And 
I wanted to focus a little bit on the impact of, of what a shoebox does. Just like the, the impact, impact in my family in sharing the gospel by packing one of these. Every time you pack a shoebox, the child that receives the shoebox not only impacts that child, but the, the average right now, what, what they're saying, saying by statistics, is a shoebox will impact 12 individuals. And a lot of times it's, a, it's the entire family unit. Um, just like it in, impacted my family over the years. And then in turn, Sharon ended up going. Um, Rose ended up going. Linda went this summer and packed during the summer project that they had. Uh, my wife's gone. It's just the impact that the shoebox had on my family. Now, if you turn that into the child that receives it, you're looking at a huge number by the time you figure out how many million shoeboxes. Um, 188 million. A few times that by, let's say, 12 to 20 people per box. Even though we're here in the United States, we may not be able to go overseas in missions, you're touching a huge number of people just by one simple shoebox. And I encourage everybody, take it up as a family, as a family mission like we did. You know, pack it, send it. If you have the opportunity to be able to get away for a week, you know, we, we go the same week every year. Um, and we have a pretty good-sized group. You know, all is welcome to come along um, next year when we, when we do the, the trip next year. Um, but, again, the shoebox, the impact that it had on my family, and the impact that we have as far as loving the children. I mean, a lot of times, this is the only thing that a lot of these children will receive in their lifetime. And to have that, it's huge. You know, and to, to see the faces when they receive them, I mean, it's, it's something that you'll never forget. Um, I don't know if there's anything much else. In 12 short weeks, I'm hoping to have 500 packed shoe boxes ready for prayer and shipping. That's about what we've done in the past. Of course, more would be wonderful. My mom collected enough shoe boxes last year to pack 16 boxes. My daughters pack at their churches, and Larry talked about how it's impacted the rest of our family. I would invite you to join us. I would love to take a group of interested individuals to Chicago. Last year was the first year that Chicago rented a warehouse and did processing there. I was excited to find out this week that Chicagoland now will have their own warehouse. They'll be moving in November. Anyone that is interested in going to Chicago, it's only five hours and 15 minutes to get there, and it's great to see all the miracles firsthand. 
Along with clothing, personal items, school supplies, and toys, a personal note or photo is also welcomed. My older sister, Linda, was excited to receive this reply from one of her shoeboxes. Actually, over the years, I've usually paid for and um, ordered tracking labels for some or all of my shoeboxes, even though the church here pays for the shipping. Um, so last year, I know from the tracking labels that I purchased that boxes from our church went to South Africa, to Honduras, and to Tanzania. And actually, I received two replies back. The first one I've got in May... And it says, um, hi, Claire family, because I was encouraged to put my email address in my boxes the last year that I did. And it says, thank you for the wonder from South Africa, Western Cape, Georgia's. Um, you have to remember, they kind of do their addresses different than we do. And then in July, I received a second reply. I believe this one is probably is from Honduras. I mean, it says, dear Claire family. Greetings in the name of Jesus. We feel so blessed for receiving your gift. We are so thankful to God for this wonderful love and the connection that your gift has to our sons. Our sons have been inspired to be more about being a blessing to others. This is the beginning. We hope to work together to live love as God has wanted us to be. Thank you so very much. God bless you. There are always opportunities to pick up items for OCC shoe boxes. Linda picked up lots of clearance items when Dollar General stores reset this spring. Wapak is currently remodeling. They had flip-flops there for 50 cents. During the 127 yard sales, I picked up cases of notebooks for less than 35 cents a notebook. And just last week at Portland, I picked up um, lots of fingernail and toenail clippers for the older kids' boxes. The OCC room upstairs, however, is lacking in children's clothing and underwear. Shoe boxes are at all the entrances. Start packing today. Thank you for partnering with Samaritan's Purse and OCC as we go into all the world to proclaim the gospel. Incidentally, the offering today is for Samaritan's Purse International Relief. We don't have to look at the headlines very much to see where international relief is needed. Samaritan's Purse disaster relief certainly will be headed to the Gulf Coast this afternoon as Hurricane Ida hits. Please give generously. Thank you for your time. All right. As Sharon said, the offering today is to support Samaritan's Purse domestic relief, or excuse me, disaster relief. Uh, just to clarify, too, Connie pointed this out just before the service began. The offering is for the domestic relief efforts, which are certainly ongoing. So if you give today, uh, the offering will go to support the domestic relief. They do have a presence internationally, um, including specifically in Afghanistan with everything that's going on right now. So if you would like to give towards their international efforts and specifically in Afghanistan uh, during the offering today, I encourage you to mark the check, your check appropriately. If it's, if it's not marked with anything, it'll go to the domestic relief here in the United States. And if you would like it to see your offering go to support the relief efforts in Afghanistan, I encourage you to mark that appropriately. 
Before we go to the offering, I just want to highlight once again what, what we're going to be starting here at First Church in a couple weeks as we begin preaching through and studying our faith statement together. Um, there, not only are we going to be focusing on that on Sunday mornings through the sermon, we're also going to be studying it in small groups throughout the week. So if you haven't had a chance to, there's information in your bulletin. There's groups that meet during the Sunday school hour, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, as well as Thursday morning. And there's sign-up sheets over at the Info Center. You can jot your name down and, and join one of those groups. And I really want to encourage you to do that. Um, it's going to be a very important time, and I want to make sure that we are, you know, studying God's Word together and, and really discussing what it means for us to, what we believe and why we believe it, and what it means for us to be the church in light of that. Uh, so this time, I want to invite the deacons to come forward for our offering, um, and glad to have Kay with us on the organ to offer our music this morning.
I invite you to remain standing as we worship the Lord together. Our next song is Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
we go to the Lord in prayer today, I want you to I want to encourage you to be in prayer for the family of Myron Flutterjohn, who passed away last weekend. Um, pray for his family as they go through this time. And I also pray, Lord, uh, or also want to encourage you to pray for the families of the military uh, servicemen who died in Afghanistan last week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, a day that we can gather to worship you, to praise you no matter what is going on in our hearts and our minds and in our lives. No matter what circumstances we face, we know that you are God and that you are Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we ask now for your will to be done in these situations. We pray especially, Lord, for those who are experiencing loss at this time. So we pray for the family of Myron Flutterjohn, as well as the family of all those servicemen who lost their lives in Afghanistan during that terrorist attack. Lord, what's happening in that country is just devastating. Um, we pray, Lord, and seeing, seeing stories and images on the news and, and through our, our social media feeds, Lord, it's just... It's heartbreaking and tragic. And so we ask, Lord, for uh, peace to reign. We ask for those who are planning violence to be stopped. And we ask, Lord, for all those who are in harm's way, especially innocent men, women, and children, that they would find safety and be evacuated if possible. And Lord, we pray... Uh, always, but especially in situations like this for wisdom for our own leaders. We pray this time for our president, Congress, and the Supreme Court, and leaders at a national level, that you would give them wisdom beyond their means, and a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be filled. Lord, we, we trust and know that you are good, and so we entrust ourselves and our lives and our families to you at this time praying that your will will be done, your good, perfect, and pleasing will. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Today's scripture reading comes from John 17, verses 6 through 19. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and, I, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. 
I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself. Thank you, Tracy. Let's pray together. Father God, as we open your word again this morning, I ask for your blessing upon our time. I ask for your spirit to move in our hearts and minds, including my own, that you may reveal to us what you have for us today. We pray this thing, these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to continue to study this morning this prayer of Jesus, this high priestly prayer that he offers. Again, remember the night that he was betrayed. He's kneeling in the garden with his disciples. He had just taught them. He had just shared his last supper with them and washed their feet. And he is now praying to the Father. First, we talked about last week for himself that he would be glorified. And now his focus is shifting to his disciples. And it's interesting how how we pray for someone often reveals our hearts for them and how much we care for them. Over the last seven years, and now I can say seven because Josephine had her birthday this week, I've developed the habit to pray for my kids in the following manner. I pray that they grow healthy and strong and to know, love, and serve you, serve the Lord. You know, how we pray for people shows how much we care for them and what we truly feel about them. There's a, a famous Irish prayer that maybe goes a little bit in the other direction. It says, may those who love us, love us. And for those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. But if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we can see him coming by the way they limp. Right? It's not quite the same kind of prayer, is it? Right? That's a different, it reveals something different about their hearts. But this prayer we're studying here today reveals the heart of Jesus for his disciples. It reveals what Jesus desires most for them. And there's three things that he prays for. The first is to know the Father through the Son. The second is to be protected from the world. And then finally, to be sanctified by the truth. So we see here that, the, that Jesus, has, has, as he's praying to the Father, tells him that he has revealed the Father to those whom the Father has given him. You see, the only way to know God is through a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I've revealed you. He literally says, I've revealed your name to them. Right? It's, it's Jesus who makes the Father known. It's, and it's in and through a relationship with him that we can truly know the Father. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 14, right after the famous statement of Jesus where he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, one of his disciples pipes up and says, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. And I can just imagine Jesus looking at him with kind of a confused look, right? That, that's going on in the background because Jesus responds, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I and the Father are one, right? If we know Jesus, if we've seen him, then we have truly seen the Father because he is the perfect representation of of the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. 
right? These disciples here that Jesus was praying with and for, they, got to, they were eyewitnesses of, of who Jesus was through his words, through his actions, through his very character and personality. They got to see what God was like in the flesh. You see, there's, and, and next week we're going to see how Jesus prays for all believers. And, and I, I kind of struggled this week with what is the difference between Jesus praying for his disciples now and Jesus praying for all believers who are to come. Why does he make a distinction like that? And one of the reasons, I think, is because of this distinction here, that they were the ones who walked, talked, ate, hung out with, witnessed Jesus in all of his uh, earthly ministry. So they did have a little bit of a, a different kind of position, different place than we now have 2,000 years later. But it is still the same Jesus who reveals the Father to us as it was to them. Because everything that Jesus says and does is ultimately from the Father. Right? He's perfectly obedient to the Father's will. In fact, he is about to complete the mission that the Father sent him on. That's what he focused on last week in verse 4. And it's these disciples who have been called out of the world that Jesus is now praying for. You see, the disciples, we often think of them like as if they were special, that they're on a different kind of level. But they were just like everyone else. There was nothing special or significant about them. And they didn't even have a, excuse me, didn't even have, excuse me, I'm tripping over my words here. They didn't earn a place among the disciples because of their qualifications. In fact, one of the first things that people noticed about them in the book of Acts, that they were ordinary, uneducated men. Yet God chose them to follow Jesus, and God worked through them to lead the early church. And you know what? God still works that way today, doesn't he? We don't earn our place in God's family. We don't earn a place in his kingdom by, based on our qualifications, based on what we've done. He accepts us because of his grace and his mercy and according to his will. But notice here, though, that the proper response to God's grace, the proper response to God the Father being revealed and God the Son is obedience. It's not enough to simply hear and know. We must need to live it out as well. And obedience is only, obedience only when it's convenient is no obedience at all. You see, we have the Bible. I mean, so how many of you brought your Bibles with you to church today? I got mine, mine up here. We have this, this resource at our disposal, yet we often take it for granted. We've been given God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word, and we have the benefit to access it whenever we want, whether it's a physical copy or, or a digital copy on an iPad or a phone. Yet all too often we ignore it and allow it to collect dust instead of putting it to use. Over my lifetime, I've spent a lot of money on gym memberships that I haven't utilized, right? How many of you have, have been in that same situation as me? The YMCA has gotten a lot of my money and not a lot of my business over the years, right? That gym membership doesn't make me healthy just because I'm paying money for it every week. I need to utilize it. I need to exercise. I need to make that decision to put it into practice. And the same is true with God's word. We can know it. We can understand it. But if we're not living it out, if we're not being obedient to it, we're still falling short. So we see that the Father is revealed to the disciples through Jesus. But then Jesus goes on to pray two specific things for them. And the first is that they be protected from the world. 
God will protect his people as they serve him in the world. And now when, when Jesus here is talking about the world, he's talking about the unbelieving world, right? The, the context in which the disciples live and minister. Now, Jesus also acknowledges that he's about to come out of the world, isn't he? Right? He's about to experience his death, his resurrection, and then ultimately his ascension to be with the Father and seated at his right hand. But the disciples will remain in the world and continue to live out Jesus' mission. And so Jesus is asking for protection for them. And it's, he says to protect them by your name, by the Father's name. Now, that's not some sort of mystical, magical formula. There's a story in the book of Acts of these people who had heard about all the miracles that the disciples were doing in Jesus' name. So they tried to get in on it, too. And in Acts 19, it tells the story of, of them trying to exercise a demon out of a possessed person. And, and they say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul and of Jesus, they command this demon to come out. And the, and the possessed person comically looks at them and says, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I've heard of, but who are you? Right? And, and they have no power, they have no effect in this situation because they were trying to use God's name as if it was some sort of magical formula or mystical. But when, when Jesus here is talking about God's name, he's talking about God's very character and his will, his fatherly care and protection and guidance. Right? We don't have to con- coerce God to care for his people because he's a loving and caring father who desires to do so. And so he will always act according to his will. Yet sometimes in his sovereignty, and this is important for us to hear, his will is to allow his people to experience suffering, to experience persecution, to experience loss, and other things. We may not understand why, but we can trust that he is still working even when we can't see it. And so we hold on to promises like 2 Thessalonians 3.3 that says, The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Right? That's a promise that we can hold on to. Even if when we don't see God working, even when we don't understand it, God is still working to establish and guard us against the evil one. And so Jesus says we need to be in this world, but not of this world. We need to live as ambassadors for Christ, for his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. Right? We can't, God isn't praying, Jesus isn't praying here for us to be removed from the world. Right? Which is sometimes what we have a tendency, we want to retreat, right? We want to step back to avoid temptation or avoid hardship or avoid persecution. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do here at all. He's calling us to remain in the world, but not be of the world, right? And it's because he's sending us on a mission to preach the gospel, to be a light in a dark place, to, to point an unbelieving world towards Christ who can be their savior. And we can't do those things. The disciples couldn't do those things then. And we can't do those things now if we're always retreating. We need to be in the world. We need to live in enemy territory, for lack of a better word, so that we can proclaim the gospel so we can make his grace and mercy and righteousness and holiness known to a world that desperately needs it but at the same time we can't allow the world to transform or change us romans 12:2 says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind right that's again why we need to know jesus we need to be in his word we need to know what his will is so that we can allow that to shape our thinking and our attitudes and our actions and not the world. Which 
incidentally leads us into the third thing that Jesus prays for here, that his disciples would be sanctified. God sanctifies his people through Jesus' death on the cross and continues to do so through the truth of his word. The word sanctify kind of has a dual meaning, and depending on the context, can mean either one. It could mean to make holy or to set apart for a special purpose. And in one way, God is doing both of those things for us. He's made us holy through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here he's about to sanctify himself. Jesus certainly didn't need to be made holy, right? He already was holy. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was obedient to the Father in all things. So when Jesus says he needs to sanctify himself, he's not, he's not saying he needs to be made holy or made pure. He is already those things. But Jesus is sanctifying himself in the sense that he is about to sacrifice himself for the cross. See, throughout the Gospels, we get images of the Day of Atonement, when, when God would, through the high priest, would offer up a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the high priest would first have to offer up an, a sacrifice for himself and then for everybody else. But in Jesus, he's an even greater high priest because he doesn't need to make atonement for his own sins. He is sinless. And he's not just the high priest who offers the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice itself. He is, as John the Baptist says in John 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? So he is both the high priest making intercession for his people and also the sacrifice that makes it possible. So in that sense, we are being sanctified. We are being made holy as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. But yet he also is setting us aside, setting us apart for a purpose and for a mission. He closes this prayer by saying that he is also sending us out into the world just as God had sent, just as the Father had sent him into the world. You see, he makes us holy in Christ through his death and his resurrection, but then he also sets us aside for a mission, for a purpose, to continue the work that Jesus began in this world, to continue to spread the good news of the gospel, to make him known. And so I want to leave you with, with two things that we can draw from this passage, just briefly. The first thing that we need to commit ourselves to is to commit to know and obey God's word. If, if the Father has revealed himself in the Son, right, and God has provided for us his word so that we can know him and have a relationship with the Son through the Holy Spirit, then we need to commit ourselves to being people of the book, right, people of God's word. We need to know God and be sanctified by the truth. We cannot obey God if we don't know his word, his promises, the story of salvation. And so we need to be in God's word and apply it to our lives. Bible teacher Jen Wilkin used an analogy. I was listening to a podcast recently, and she used an analogy of a debit card versus a savings account and how we approach the Bible. Too many of us view the Bible as a debt, and we use it like a debit card. When we need it, we, we pull it off the shelf, right? And we, we read a few verses looking for answers to our questions or, or help in times of need. And we swipe the card and, and we look at it like a transaction. And then when we don't need it anymore, we put it back on the shelf and ignore it. Whereas on the other hand, we should approach scripture like it's a savings account. 
It's those regular everyday deposits that we make, being in God's word, knowing his word, studying his word that will make a difference when those hard times hit. So it's not waiting around until we face a difficult problem that we pull God's word off the shelf. It's being regularly in his word, studying his word, knowing his word, so that when those problems come, we have a foundation to build on. So we need to commit to knowing and obeying God's word. And second, we need to trust that God's provision and faithfulness is enough for us as we commit to serve him in the world. God has sanctified us for a purpose. And we can't retreat from that mission. We need to trust that God will protect and preserve us whatever challenges we face. And then we trust God and live with boldness. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit's guidance for us to be in the world, but not of the world. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand how maybe the world that we live in has impacted us and affected us. Right? Make aware those places where we maybe have compromised or we have fallen short and ask for God's forgiveness in those areas and help ask for his help to transform our hearts and our minds so that we can live for him. And second, then we need to commit to live for Christ in all areas of our lives. If we believe that Jesus died for us, then we must also commit to living for him. In closing, I want to read Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the kind of commitment that God desires for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this prayer that Jesus offers up for us. And what what a beautiful picture it is of his heart for his people. I pray, Lord, that we today, though we are not his disciples, would benefit from the things that he's praying for here, that we would know you because of your son, Jesus Christ, would trust in your protection and provision as we, as we live for you in this world, and that we would be sanctified because of, your, because of Jesus' death and the truth you've revealed to us in your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we sing our closing song. The words are in your bulletin.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May go in peace. Amen.